Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. The Peter Schiff Show. Today was the end of the month of September. It's also the end of the third quarter. We are now beginning the final quarter of the year. When we come back to trading next week, we will be in the month of October. And as I mentioned on my last podcast, we have had some substantial stock market declines in October. Obviously, not every October has a big drop. In fact, most of the Octobers don't. But some of the most notable declines have incurred in the month of October, including the crash of 1987 and the crash of 1929. But given that our valuations are probably higher now than they were at those prior peaks, you would think that there'd be more concern right now about the possibility of another October surprise in the way of a major decline in the stock market. But the stock market finished the day positive. Uh, on the week, it was a mixed picture. The Dow Jones was down a bit, and the um, NASDAQ was up on a week that the Federal Reserve did, in fact, raise interest rates yet again, as expected. Now we're at 2 to 2.25%. Two the yield, though, on the long bond, actually went down. In fact, it was down a little bit again today. Uh, so a buy the rumor, sell the fact there. The dollar continued to rise. And I thought that maybe we would have seen a dollar sell-off following the rate hike, but we got a rise. And I think the reason is because of the weakness in the euro, which is a result of what's going on in Italy. You know, the Italian market under a lot of pressure because the Italian government is running deficits that exceed the 2% guidelines imposed by the Eurozone. I think their proposed new budget deficit is 2.4% of Italian GDP. And so this is putting pressure on Italy, which is also putting pressure on the Euro. You know, it's interesting that if America tried to get into the EU, we couldn't, right? Because our debt to GDP is about 5%, and that's now. I mean, it's going to soar over 10% 
well over 10% in the next recession. Uh, but our debt is twice as high relative to our GDP as um, Italy's. So we don't have a shot at getting into the European Union, although obviously we don't have to try. But if we keep running trade deficits, like the trade deficit that we printed this month, uh, we are going to be having a serious, serious crisis in the dollar. And it was bad trade deficits and concerns about the dollar that is one of the reasons, or maybe one of the biggest reasons, that we had the 1987 stock market crash. We got the August trade deficit numbers this week, and the estimate was for an improvement from uh, the July deficit, which was 72.2, I believe, and I think we revised that month down to 72.1. But the estimate was for the trade deficit to narrow somewhat to 70.8. And we ended up getting 75.8. I mean, a huge miss. I mean, that's basically 7% more than what people were looking for. This is the biggest trade deficit in merchandise. This is not the unified deficit. This is merchandise goods. This is the biggest that number has been since the summer of 2008. Now, what followed the summer of 2008? The financial crisis of 2008, the collapse. And the reason that the trade deficit got that big is because before the collapse, we had a bubble. We had a consumer debt binge where all the cheap money that was being created was feeding imports because Americans were taking their incomes or their cheap money and buying imported products. And so the big trade deficit was evidence of the bubble. And of course, the big trade deficits in and of themselves are unsustainable. Now, of course, the dollar, as I've said many times in the summer of 2008, was at an all-time record low. So the dollar had been falling along with our uh, the rise in our trade deficits. So there was some concern about the large trade deficits in the market as evidenced by the weak dollar. But this time, as our trade deficits are soaring to record highs, it's happening when the dollar is much stronger. And since we have a stronger dollar, you might expect the trade deficits to be smaller because the dollar should buy a lot more, right? We have better terms of trade so we can buy more stuff with our dollars. So if the trade deficit is, the, is so big now with the dollar strong, Imagine what's going to happen to the trade deficit when the dollar soars and all of our imports become that much more expensive. You see, when the 2008 crash happened, the dollar strengthened. I mean, it went way up in late 2008. And because of the surge in the value of the dollar, all of a sudden the stuff that we were importing didn't cost as much because we got more foreign currency for our dollar. So that helped bring down the trade deficit, as did the decline in consumption due to the recession and you know the reverse wealth effect. But I think that when the markets come down the next time, even though there will be a reduction in consumption and clearly a loss of wealth, I think the trade deficits are initially going to get even bigger because of the decline in the value of the dollar, because the dollar has been ignoring the increase in the trade deficits. Traders and speculators have bid the dollar higher. They haven't sold it lower 
like they had been doing leading up to the summer of 2008, they're all oblivious thinking about how strong the economy is and how much the Fed's going to keep raising rates and how they're going to shrink their balance sheet. And so everybody's been buying the dollar and they're going to get caught blindsided uh, when the economy turns down. Although why it should be blindsided when you look at all the numbers that have been coming out, look at the pending home sales numbers that we got for the month of August. They were looking for an unchanged month after being down 0.7 of a percent uh, last month. Well, not only did they revise that 0.7 slightly higher to a drop of 0.8, but August was down 1.8. We had more than twice as large a decline in pending home sales in August as we did in July, even though the market was looking for unchanged. So again, more weak economic data confirming the underlying weakness in the housing sector as if we need more confirmation. The stocks themselves or the home builders all in bear market should be all the confirmation you need. But again, it's intuitively obvious if interest rates are going up and mortgage rates, of course, are following interest rates higher, that the housing market is going to be in trouble. Because after all, it was the reduction in mortgage rates, the Fed slashing interest rates that helped reflate the housing bubble. That's one of the reasons that prices went back up is because the Federal Reserve made it cheaper to buy houses. Well, now the Federal Reserve is making it more expensive to buy houses. So obviously people will buy fewer houses. And to the extent that people buy houses, the prices are going to have to come down first. Otherwise, they're not affordable. So clearly there's plenty of evidence that everybody is ignoring that the economy is slowing down. But the narrative remains that everything is great. In fact, even the Atlanta Fed reduced their estimates a couple times this week. They closed today at 3.6% uh, is the estimate for uh the current quarter, you know, last quarter we had that 4.2 that Trump keeps, um, you know, bragging about. But the Atlanta Fed is now down to 3.6. That is the lowest estimate they've had for the third quarter. The New York Fed has actually been going in the other direction. You know, they were below 2%. Uh, maybe a month ago or so. Now they're up to two and a half percent. So they're kind of converging with each other. But you know, if you average the Atlanta Fed now and the New York Fed, you get about three percent. But my feeling is that the number will be uh, softer than that. We'll see. But I think the fourth quarter is where we're really going to see a big decline in GDP, particularly if we do get a big stock market sell-off in the fourth quarter. And if we get the big stock market sell-off in October, then we could get a, a election in November that not only sees the House of Representatives going into the Democratic camp, but the uh, Senate as well. And not only does that have, again, big implications as far as any success that the markets are betting Trump's going to have with continuing whatever the agenda they think he has in the second half of his term, but it also has ominous uh, implications for what is going to happen in the general election in 2020 and whether or not Republicans will still have the White House and whether or not these so-called permanent tax cuts are going to go away and turn into permanent tax hikes in 2021. We also got the income and spending numbers that came out for the month of August, pretty much in line, although personal income was up slightly less. They were looking for a gain of 0.4%, which would have been an improvement on the 0.3 uh, from July. Instead, we got another increase of 03 
Uh, consumer spending came in just in line at up 0.3. Uh, prior month, it was up 0.4. But, you know, the more interesting statistic is year over year, this is the seventh month in a row where spending is outpacing income. And again, this is not sign of a good economy, right? If the economy were good, our incomes would be growing faster than our spending, right? We would be making money faster than we were spending it. And our savings would be going up. Our wealth would be going up, right? That is a sign of prosperity. That is a sign of good times when you're earning more money than you need and you can save the difference for the future, right? That is how you grow your wealth. When you are constantly having to borrow more than you earn, chances are it's because there's some kind of financial distress. I mean, yes, you're earning more, but your costs are going up. Your cost of living is rising, and we know the cost of living is rising, and it's going to keep rising. Obviously, interest rates are a big part of most people's costs and the Fed increase interest rates. Now, yes, there are some Americans that when interest rates go up, they get they get a raise because they get more interest income. But Americans with savings are in the minority. Most Americans have debt. And so they are on the paying side. You know, Donald Trump, even I think sometime this week, talked about the benefits to the savers of higher interest rates. But then he said, but, you know, of course, I'm a low interest rate guy, which He is because he's a debtor. He owns a lot of assets that have a lot of debt and he wants low interest rates and inflation. That's what makes him richer as an individual, but it's not what makes the country more prosperous. So if Trump thinks, hey, low interest rates are good for me as an individual, hey, then that's what we should have for the country. It doesn't work that way because what's good for Donald Trump is not good for America, right? He's not General Motors. What's good for America is sound money, is a low inflation is high savings, high production, all the things that we're not doing because we're just blowing more air into a bubble. And this Donald Trump doesn't understand that that's what's happening. Or if he understands it, he doesn't care because it's his bubble. And so now he has to pretend that everything is great. But what the the trade deficits are confirming and the budget deficits, which are both off the charts, the twin deficits, and pretty soon we're going to have a record high, all-time record high trade deficit, merchandise trade deficit, unified trade deficit. We're going to have all-time record high budget deficits. The twin deficits will never be as large. And that, again, those twin deficits were a big part of the 1987 stock market crash. Of course, The deficits were much lower then. It's just that people cared about them more. Well, they don't care about them now, but that doesn't mean they're not going to care about them tomorrow. I mean, they're not a problem until they are. At some point, the focus is going to go back on these deficits, especially once the dollar starts to turn down and inflation turns up and the Federal Reserve starts to ease monetary policy in the face of increasing inflation and a weakening dollar. And you know, I read this week that central bank gold buys have now shot up. They're the highest. I think it was five years, maybe a little bit longer. I forget. But as central banks are selling treasuries and maybe selling dollars, they are buying gold. And believe me, they have a lot more gold to buy or that they want to buy. And the gold buying on the part of central banks is only going to accelerate the fact that they're buying now. Right. When everybody is bearish, they don't care. They're buying. But at some point, people are going to get more bullish as the dollar turns down and inflation turns up. But 
as the markets perceive that the Fed is basically surrendering to inflation, ignoring inflation, that they are going back to 0% rates. And I believe that the next time the Fed cuts rates, they're going to go straight to zero. They're not even going to pass go, right? Because first of all, they're not even that high. They're barely above two. But if things you know, start to turn down, they're, they're going to go quickly because uh, they're going to you know, give it all they got. But then, of course, that's not much. So I think the big thing is going to be quantitative easing. I think they're ready to play that card as soon as they perceive that they need it. But when the markets are prepared for the opposite of that, when the markets are prepared for rate hikes and quantitative tightening, and they're caught completely by surprise with the Fed doing the opposite of what they had been expected, you know, that is when you see these abrupt moves in markets like you know, what we had in 1987, when nothing is factored in, nothing has been discounted into the markets. And then all of a sudden, the markets or the participants are surprised by something that happens and they have to quickly readjust their positions. And some of the positions that are really going to need to be adjusted are going to be long dollar, short gold positions, which are going to have to be reversed in a big way. And there's just not going to be the liquidity really to allow that to happen in a smooth, organized manner. It's going to happen with a big, big move. And those moves are probably going to spill over into bond markets, you know, into the stock market. Could it happen in the month of October? Well, you know, there's a lot of precedent for things uh, hitting the fan in the month of October. But even if it doesn't happen in October, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen a lot sooner than just about anybody thinks. I forgot to mention, too, when I talked about the cost of living going up, I mentioned that interest rates are going up. I've been talking about the increase in the oil price. Oil had a strong day and week. We were up about $1.40 on the day, almost $3 a barrel on the week. We closed above $73.50, about $3 higher than we closed the prior week. And I've been talking on this podcast about how strong the oil market looks. The chart looks you know, incredible for oil. That's great news if you own oil and you're trying to sell it, but it's not good news if you're a consumer who needs to buy oil. And as I mentioned on a previous podcast, people are already driving less because of the increase in gasoline prices that has already taken place. And again, you know, you're not having a booming economy if consumers are pinching pennies like that. If an increase in the price of gas causes people to drive less, it's because they're, you know, they're having a tough time making ends meet. Well, it's going to get even tougher because the price of gasoline is going to go even higher. Oh, I also wanted to mention, too, shares of Tesla going the other way. Tesla stock down almost 14% today, closed at $264.77. The chart there, you know, looking bad, meaning, you know, all the U.S. auto stocks, you know, uh, Ford made another nine-year low again today, but it actually closed positive by two cents. And GM also was unchanged. It was down most of the day, but basically all the U.S. automakers in bear market territory. But the problem for Tesla is pretty much exactly what I warned was going to happen. The very day that I did my podcast on the Elon Musk tweet, where he said he was thinking of taking Tesla private at $420 a share and that financing was already locked up. And I remember when I did that podcast, I said, that's ridiculous. 
I didn't think there was any way that that was true, that it was just impossible to take a company like that private, let alone actually line up the financing to do it. And that even if it could be done, it was inconsistent with what Elon Musk was saying he wanted to do. So it made no sense to me that this could happen. And I said, you know, not to bet on this outcome because it, you know, it wasn't going to happen. But then I also said that this was very risky because Elon Musk could end up getting you know, charged with stock manipulation or something like that because he tweeted out, you know, material information that he knew at the time to be false and he did it to manipulate the stock price, uh, maybe to cause a short squeeze and to punish some of the shorts. And I said at the time, you know, you can't do that. And, you know, he's just painted a big target on himself and the SEC uh, could come after him and, and charge him with, you know, stock manipulation or something like that. And that is exactly what has happened. Elon Musk has now uh, been charged, and apparently he was negotiating with the SEC. There was some kind of settlement, and he was probably going to, you know, I don't know, either admit nor deny something, and he was probably going to have to pay some kind of fine. That's generally the way it works. And for some reason, last minute, Elon Musk decided that he didn't want to settle, that he was going to fight. And in general, that's a mistake. I mean, in my experience, even if you're you're not guilty. In many cases, it pays to settle because the cost going forward in not only in money, but in aggravation of trying to prove your innocence uh, is, is much more expensive. And then it, you could end up owing even more. I mean, they can even be more vindictive if you deny it and you make them take you to court and prove it and they win. You know, and of course, you know, they're, you're, you're going to get punished a lot harder than what you would have if you just caved into the extortion and, and admitted it. Although in the case of Elon Musk, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me. I mean, if he didn't have any financing lined up and he had no evidence that he could use to support that he had had some kind of negotiations and some verifiable documentation of substantive discussions with investors or banks to show that he had the financing secure and some kind of discussion of some kind of price of 420. And, you know, where did he get that number that it was actually, you know, the result of some real negotiations and thoughtful, you know, uh, uh, talks among bankers and, you know, whoever would have been involved in the potential, you know, leverage buyout of Tesla, which is already leveraged to the hilt, you know, how do you, how do you leverage up even more uh, to buy that out? It's impossible. That was one of the reasons I said it couldn't be done, but it seems to me that there's not much of a defense that Elon Musk has for that tweet. You know, I mean, it was a joke. I mean, and obviously he knows that that tweet potentially could move the markets because people are affecting markets all the time now with tweets. And so, you know, if you have as many followers as Elon Musk has, and of course, the minute he sent that tweet out and it was reported everywhere, it was like the biggest story in financial, uh, you know, television was this Elon Musk tweet. And of course, the stock immediately jumped rather dramatically on the news. And some people might have lost money if there was a short who was foolish enough to cover into that spike. And of course, if somebody believed the tweet and some somebody decided to buy the stock based on that tweet, and now the price is way down. And so they've lost money too. And so investors who made decisions relying on the accuracy of this tweet 
have in fact been harmed and the SEC is going to try to hold Elon Musk responsible for for those losses. So I think from my perspective, you know, whatever ego caused Elon to just reject whatever deal there was and now he just wants to stand up and fight, it probably is a mistake and it's probably one that he is going to ultimately regret and it's probably one that Tesla shareholders are going to regret if they continue to hold the stock. I almost forgot to mention that gold finished the day higher. It was up about eight bucks, back above eleven ninety-one. But it finished the week, the month, and the quarter lower. The price of gold did not have any type of positive reaction yet to the Fed's rate hike. Remember, I said in the last podcast that what has happened following the prior rate hikes is rather than the price of gold going down. The price of gold has gone up, and I still expect a delayed positive reaction in the price of gold to the most recent rate hike. Although I think following that rate hike, the expectations for a December hike, which would be the fourth hike of 2018, I think rose a bit. And so that might have been a little bit more difficult for the gold market and the dollar uh, currency market rather to digest. But I think what uh, interfered with a potential larger rally in the price of gold over the last couple of days was the weakness in the euro, as I mentioned earlier, with regard to the concerns regarding budget deficits in Italy and the effect that's having on their financial markets and the spreads uh, between the uh, Italian government bond yields and the German government bond yields. So that is creating some buying, I think, in both the U.S. dollar and the U.S. Treasury market, and that is uh, making a gold rally more difficult, but I still think the gold rally is coming. I think it's just going to be delayed a bit as a result of those mitigating factors that have caused some uh, money to flow into dollars. And whenever that happens, you generally get some downward pressure on gold. Earlier today, the Senate Judicial Committee voted along party lines 11 to 10 to advance Judge Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court to the floor. This, of course, followed yesterday's testimony by both Dr. Ford and uh, Judge Kavanaugh. There was a condition, though, a last-minute condition, a Republican flake who I had some last-minute discussions with Democrats. He seems to have committed the Republicans to a delay for a week, I think, or up to a week, to allow the FBI to continue to investigate some of the claims or allegations or statements that were made yesterday to see if they can, you know, fill in some of the blanks or connect some of the loose ends that potentially might uh, punch some holes in Brett Kavanaugh's uh, story or his alibi, however you want to look at it, or maybe provide some corroborating evidence uh, to support the allegation of sexual assault that was made by Dr. Ford. But, you know, I want to talk again in all seriousness about the allegations and the spectacle and the forum and and yesterday's hearings. First of all, one of the parts that bothered me the most about it and still bothers me is how many Democrats were so quick to say Kavanaugh is guilty simply because Dr. Ford has made an allegation and she must be believed and therefore he must be guilty of whatever has been alleged simply because it's been alleged 
and that women always tell the truth and therefore they always need to be believed, at least when it comes to rape or attempted rape or a sexual assault. And this is pure sexism. Women do not always tell the truth. Many times they do, but not always. Sure, I get it. Women are raped. And when they are raped and they report it, the guy who raped them denies it. I mean, it's pretty obvious that if you've committed a rape, you're not going to be so quick to confess because it's a serious crime and you can go to jail for a long time. So most people are not going to confess to a serious crime. And of course, if you are a rapist, well, then you're probably also have no problem with committing perjury. I think perjury is a much easier crime to commit than rape. So if you've already committed a rape, hey, what's, you know, why not throw perjury on top of it? So I get it. Guys who are rapists are going to deny the rape. And that is one of the reasons that a lot of women who are raped don't want to come out because if they don't have a lot of cooperating evidence and they know the guy is going to deny it, uh, they don't come forward. And I get it. That is a huge problem. But that does not mean that every guy who is accused of rape is guilty. Because just like guys can lie and say they didn't commit rape, women can also lie and say that a rape was committed. Or they could just be mistaken. They can make a false allegation. They can get the guy wrong. They can get the circumstances wrong. And of course, a lot of the rapes that occur are not your you know, traditional violent rape. A guy jumps a girl in an alley and there's bruises and it's clearly evident that something happened. If there's a date rape and there's a lot less evidence, it's more one person's word against another person's word. It's a lot easier for the guy to lie and claim that, I didn't rape her, but also it's easier for the woman to simply make a claim of rape that is not true. So what you have to do in all circumstances where somebody says, I was raped, and then someone says, I didn't do it, right? you can't immediately assume that the guy did it. Right? You need to look at all of the evidence. Yes, you have to weigh this testimony of both parties and listen to it and look at the credibility of the stories, whether or not uh, they make sense, whether or not they're consistent. And then, of course, you have to look at all the other evidence, other witness testimony that may either corroborate the allegations or act to show that the, the allegations are not true, right? And so that was the whole purpose of this investigation, of this hearing, yet the Democrats simply want to say that Brett Kavanaugh is guilty simply because there is an allegation. Well, that's not the way it works in America. There is a presumption of innocence, and you have to prove that somebody is guilty. And you know what that means in you know American jurisprudence is sometimes rapists go free. Sometimes there isn't enough evidence to convict a rapist and they walk. But that's something that we accept because what we don't want in America is to send an innocent man to jail for a crime he did not commit. So it's better that the guilty person walk free than the innocent man be uh, convicted. Now, of course, this is not a criminal prosecution. Uh, 
Brett Kavanaugh wasn't facing any jail time. So I don't know that we need a criminal standard where we need to be convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, you know, assaulted Dr. Ford. I think maybe just a preponderance of the evidence. But if you objectively look at all the evidence that's there and you listen to the testimony yesterday, not only was there not a preponderance of the evidence that um, Brett Kavanaugh was guilty, there was really no evidence that he was guilty. And there was overwhelming evidence that he was innocent. Now, does that mean that Dr. Ford lied? Does that mean she committed perjury? No, it doesn't. I mean, it is possible that she is lying, but I listened to her testimony, and I think it's more likely that she's not lying, but that does not mean that Brett Kavanaugh is not telling the truth also, because you can only tell the truth that you know, and it's certainly possible that Dr. Ford was the victim of some type of assault, sexual or otherwise, And it's something that has troubled her over the years. But it's also possible that she is mistaken as to who her assaulter was. For whatever reason, she believes that she was assaulted by Brett Kavanaugh. But that does not mean that Brett Kavanaugh assaulted her. She could simply be mistaken. She could be delusional. There are a lot of things, right? I mean, but she believes it. People can believe things that aren't true. You know, people believe they're abducted by aliens. And, you know, if somebody who believes they were abducted by aliens took a polygraph test, well, then it would show that she was being truthful. But that would not mean that she was abducted by aliens just because she believed she was abducted. I mean, because she probably wasn't. So if Dr. Ford believes that this happened to her and that the person who assaulted her was Brett Kavanaugh, then if she went to have a lie detector test, then the lie detector test would say that she was being truthful. Now, of course, lie detector tests are not always accurate, and that's probably why they're not admissible in court. But let's assume it was accurate in these circumstances because Dr. Ford actually believes that Brett Kavanaugh is the one that assaulted her in the manner in which she recalls. That does not mean that he did it, because there are all sorts of problems with her story. Not that I don't think she believes it, but so much of what Dr. Ford said, to me, doesn't really make sense. One of the things that bothered me is how little she seems to recall about the event. And I'm not talking about all these tiny details, but she doesn't even remember how she got there, or how she left. And it seems to me that if she had just escaped what she thought was attempted rape, in fact, she almost thought she was going to die, and she remembers, you know, going into the bathroom and escaping and how she happened to escape and then going down the stairs, she doesn't remember what she did when she left, how she got home or where she went immediately after she narrowly avoided this rape uh, or potential death. Now, I know people are saying, well, this is common, that victims of some trauma, you know, have these blackouts. But I don't know how common it is or how likely it is that that particular fact 
uh, would not be remembered if the event was as traumatic as she claims. And it's not like, you know, it's been 36 years. And so, you know, she can't remember something that happened 36 years ago because this is something that she claims uh, she has been reliving repeatedly, that it was haunting her uh, immediately for five years after she had trouble having relationships. And, you know, it's been you know bothering her ever since. So to the extent that she's been reliving these memories, I would imagine that just how she left the party, how she got home, you know, who she, that would be something that she would have remembered. Now, it's possible that one of the reasons she doesn't remember it is maybe because she was drunk and maybe the alcohol created a problem for her memory. But again, if she, her memory was impaired by alcohol, how can she be so sure what happened or that Brett Kavanaugh was the person who assaulted her? Now, I know that she said that she had one beer, as if, you know, I couldn't have been drunk because I only had one beer. Well, first of all, when you're 15 years old, if you don't normally drink and you're a young girl, uh, you could get drunk on one beer. So her judgment could have been impaired. But I think that if she was at a party where people were drinking, there's a good chance that she had more than one beer. I mean, how can she be so sure exactly how many beers she had 36 years ago? I mean, there are a lot of other things she's not sure about. So how can she be so sure as to the exact number of beers she happened to drink? Maybe she had two. Maybe she had three. Maybe she had a shot of something. So maybe she had consumed a lot more alcohol than she said. And that would explain potentially why she doesn't remember a lot of what happened. And that also might explain some of the confusion as to who it was that was on top of her that day if she was very drunk. In fact, there was a lot of discussion about Brett Kavanaugh's yearbook and about the references to drinking and parties, but they never discussed Dr. Ford's yearbook, which I understand had very similar uh, references. The yearbook is replete uh, with stories of drinking and parties and drinking to excess and blacking out and lots of promiscuous sex. So stuff was going on at the all-girls school, just like it was going on at the all-boys school. Nobody asked Dr. Ford about her drinking history, whether at that party or other parties that she may have gone before and after. You know, did she drink to the point where she couldn't remember what she did the day before. Nobody asked about her uh, sexual uh, history. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh said that he was a virgin uh, all through his uh, high school years and many of his college years. We don't know whether uh, Dr. Ford, nobody would dare to ask her a question like that. And not that I think it's relevant to whether or not, you know, she, you know, she asked for it, you know, she was leading the guy on. My point is if Dr. Ford did drink quite often and go to parties. And if she also had memory lapses and maybe she also was engaged in sexual activity at these parties, then clearly it's possible that an event similar to the one that she described in fact took place at one of these parties at some point. But she's got all the details confused because she herself was drinking a lot and the act took place a long time ago. You know, another thing that doesn't make sense to me is that she didn't tell her best friend who was at the party with her. Now, I could get why she didn't want to tell her parents. Okay, she said that, that I didn't want uh, my parents to know that I was at a party with no parents and boys drinking alcohol. So I didn't want to tell my parents. I didn't want to get in trouble. Okay, I get that. 
I can see her not wanting to go to the police for whatever reason. I mean, she said, I didn't get raped. In fact, when she described what happened to her, she didn't describe him even kissing her or, uh, you know, taking off any of her clothes. He tried but didn't succeed. He didn't say his hands, you know, uh, you know, got anywhere in particular. He groped but not necessarily underneath her clothes. So it seems like even if whoever was on top of her intended uh, to do a lot more than he did, she got out of Dodge in time. She managed to escape and, you know, she was scared for a while but not – there wasn't that much – that actually happened. And so she thought, well, I can't, based on this, I can't go to the police. It's not really enough. And, and so she didn't you know, want to tell the police. But her best friend who was at the party with her, I mean, why wouldn't she confide in her friend? Like, oh my God, you won't believe what happened to me when I went upstairs. That asshole, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and, and his buddy, Mark Judd, tried to rape me. I mean, why wouldn't she tell her friend? Or why wouldn't her friend even ask her? like about what might have happened or why'd you leave so suddenly or we don't even know how she left. But she would have talked to her friend because her friend is not going to rat her out to her parents. She's not going to get in trouble. And her friend, you know, her friend was there too. Now I can get sometimes people say when women are raped, they feel stigmatized. They feel embarrassed. They feel somehow it's their fault, but she wasn't raped. There was nothing for her to be embarrassed about. She didn't do anything. Maybe somebody might have raped her, but she was able to fend it off. She, you know, she, she prevented it. So you'd think she would say, God, you know, I almost got raped. I can't believe what these guys did. So I have a hard time believing that, you know, if this actually happened, that she would have said something about it. So by her own admission, her memory of the events that happened 36 years ago are spotty. Yes, she claims that the one thing she knows for sure is that it was Brett Kavanaugh who did it, and she believes that, but I just don't think there is enough corroborating evidence. In fact, there's no corroborating evidence to suggest that her memory is accurate. And there are all sorts of reasons that she may believe that it was Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, we didn't also get any of her psychiatric history, uh, what else she's been dealing with over the years. Has there been any, any other sexual assault? You know, they never even asked her uh, if she read Matt Judge's book, Wasted, you know, which came out 20 years ago, which probably or did, uh, you know, represent a chronology of a lot of this stuff. And, you know, she is a contemporary. She knew uh, Mark Judge and maybe she read that book and maybe, you know, that's how maybe some of the characters in that book creeped into her subconscious. And, and somehow that's how, uh, you know, these names were there or she ended up convincing herself that Brett Kavanaugh was the guy. You know, also I thought was very uh, weird about her testimony is that she said she ran into Mark Judge at a, a supermarket where he worked, uh, which, you know, also, she, you know, maybe she knew that because she knew him or because it, she read about it in his book. But she said that she knew him and she ran into him. And when she saw him, she said hello. And that when he said hello back, that his face was white and he didn't seem as friendly as he had been in the past. Now, that whole exchange doesn't make any sense to me. You're telling me you run into a guy who was an accomplice to an attempted rape. You thought you were going to die. You barely escaped. He was laughing hysterically, which is something that you remember. And then you run into him and all you can say is hi. And then he says hi back and that's it. 
And you're surprised that he's not as friendly as he was the last time you saw him when he was laughing as his buddy was trying to rape you. It just that exchange doesn't make sense. Either maybe she would have seen him and freaked out or ran away or they would have she would have confronted him or there would have been some kind of conversation about what happened. Are you okay? I'm sorry. You know, something would have happened. Just that, you know, two casual hellos just didn't 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 ring true to me. Not that she was lying, but that that's what she remembers. But if she remembers running into Mark Judge and having that conversation, then what she's remembering about what might have happened maybe didn't take place or maybe didn't take place the way she remembered it. So it's possible that she's telling the truth. She's just wrong. Either she uh, imagined this, she's delusional, she's just mistaken. There are a number of reasons to explain what she thinks. Now, is it possible that Brett Kavanaugh actually was the guy and he just doesn't remember it? I mean, because that's another way uh, where Brett Kavanaugh could be telling the truth that maybe it was that, that you know July 1st party where he was having brewskis with the guys, which included Mark Judge and the other guy, PJ, whatever his name was. He was one of like eight or nine guys that were there and they were. it seemed like it was just the guys hanging out together. But I don't know, maybe she did show up with her friend and everybody was drunk and maybe something did in fact happen up in that bedroom. And maybe it's not exactly the way she recalls it because she may have been just as drunk as they were. And maybe Brett Kavanaugh has absolutely no memory of it and that's why he's so sure that it wasn't him because he doesn't remember it, because it wasn't as bad as the way she recalls it. And of course, he might have been drinking too and thought nothing of it. And he hasn't even heard about this in 36 years, right? So obviously she's been thinking about it for the past 36 years. He probably never gave it a second thought if he doesn't remember it. But I don't think that that is the more probable. Again, you've got to weigh all of the evidence. And I listened to his testimony, and I was very moved by the sincerity. I didn't think that the fact uh, that he had the tone that he did, that makes sense. I mean, what ha- this guy has been through the ringer. His family has been through the ringer. And if you are accused of something and you know that you did not do it, or you believe that you did not do it, even if maybe you did, but you are 100% certain that you did not do it, you are going to have that tone. You are going to be mad at people who are falsely accusing you. But, you know, the one person he wasn't really mad at was Dr. Ford. And, you know, a lot of the Democrats tried to deflect the anger as if it was against Ford. Because when he talked about this being a political witch hunt or whatever words he used, a con job or a political attack on him, he was not saying that the orchestrator of the attack was Dr. Ford. If anything, he was saying Dr. Ford was used. She was an innocent pawn. She came forward. She actually believes that this happened. She came forward out of her civic duty. She wanted to remain anonymous, and everything somehow got leaked. But it's possible that just because, you know, she has this belief, the Democrats should have done a much better job of vetting this behind the scenes, but it seems that they wanted to exploit it. You know, they keep talking about the lie detectors or the polygraphs. You know, they want, oh, did Brett Kavanaugh take one? Well, he hasn't taken one. Well, I'd like to see all these Democrats take a polygraph as to whether, in fact, they actually believe that Kavanaugh is guilty, because they keep saying that he is guilty, but based on what? Just based on the fact that she said that he did it? With no corroborating evidence, the, the, the people that she placed at the scene, her best friend, has no recollection of that party. 
none. She says, look, you know, I don't remember being there. I don't remember ever meeting Brett Kavanaugh. Mark Judge, he said, look, I don't have any recollection of it. Although that guy, I mean, he has a huge drinking problem. We know that. So uh, Judge is the one guy that maybe could have uh, witnessed it and then forgotten about it based on uh, his, his drinking problem, which is much worse. And, you know, when they tried to make a big deal about Kavanaugh's drinking, yeah, clearly he admitted to drinking in high school. A lot of boys drink in high school. A lot of boys drink underage. A lot of girls drink underage. But the guy graduated high school at the top of his class. He was on the football team. He captained the varsity basketball team, and he got admitted to Yale. I mean, that's not easy to do. You can't do all that if you're drunk every day. So, yeah, he drank on weekends, and maybe he drank over the summer, but he was not an alcoholic. This guy did not have a huge drinking problem. He is not Mark Judge. He is Brett Kavanaugh, who then went on to get admission to Yale Law School, which is not an easy thing to do. Right, so he worked hard through high school and college, and he drank occasionally. And occasionally when he drank, he probably had too many drinks, just like a lot of people who drink occasionally have too many drinks. But that does not mean he is a rapist uh, or, or a sexual assaulter. I believe that the um, contemporaneous notes that he kept, uh, his uh, calendar, I think is pretty good corroborating evidence of where he was. Uh, during the summer of 1982, it seems to me that he has a lot of supporting evidence that this is not something that he did. You have all of these uh, women who have come forward, who have known him all of his life, including when he was in high school and throughout his profession, that say this is inconsistent with everything that we know about Brett Kavanaugh and the way he treated me or other women and things like that. So you have all of this evidence that would you know, support Brett Kavanaugh's version of events. And you don't have any real evidence or testimony that supports what Dr. Ford says, other than her own recollection of an event that happened 36 years ago, about which she doesn't have a lot of specifics. She admits that she doesn't have a good memory. And she admits to having at least one beer, but we have no idea how many beers she actually drank or how much alcohol she may or may not have consumed on that night, which may have limited her memory. And again, the fact that she didn't tell her best friend at the time, to me, doesn't make sense. And the fact that she doesn't recall some of these other events that I would imagine she would recall, but for the fact that maybe she was too drunk to remember them, just makes her testimony not credible, not in that she doesn't believe it herself, but that she is either mistaken or delusional with respect to what she believes happened to her 36 years ago and who she believes was the person involved. The other thing that is obvious to me, though, is the way the Democrats were able to exploit Dr. Ford and this whole situation to try to delay the confirmation of Judge Kavanaugh Obviously, ideally, if they can delay it long enough and the midterm elections can come up and the Democrats can get control of the Senate, then they may be able to block any appointments until the 2020 elections and maybe they'll get a Democratic president. And, you know, so that, I think, is really the driving force. I don't think the Democrats and Dr. Ford 
conspire together in a lie, right? I, I don't think that the Democrats think that Dr. Ford is lying or that they told her a lie. That would be way too risky because she could eventually rat them out. I, you know, I believe she sincerely came to them and she really believes this happened. I don't know whether or not the Democrats who claim to believe her in that Kavanaugh is guilty, not believing her in that she believes it herself, right? Again, like if somebody said, I was abducted by aliens, you could believe that they believe it, but that doesn't mean you actually think that they were abducted by aliens. So you can believe, and some of these Democratic senators could believe that Dr. Ford believes this, but they may not believe it actually happened. They could believe that she's got some serious psychological problems and she believes something sincerely that is just not true. But they are taking advantage of this situation, right, to achieve a political agenda. In fact, that's exactly what they did during these hearings. I mean, the hearings were a joke. I mean, first of all, the the Republicans were so afraid to actually ask any probative questions directly for fear of being seen as beating up on the victim uh, that they had to have some prosecutor, some female prosecutor, who I think did a horrible job, too. I think, you know, she could on both sides of actually digging in uh, to, uh, you know, the, the truthfulness of everybody's testimony. I think she could have done a much better job. But the Republicans were afraid to talk to uh, Dr. Ford or question her. The Democrats had no problem questioning her because they didn't question her. They used their five minutes of time to praise her for her courage and then talk about women's issues and demagogue the whole thing and turn it into a big campaign speech. In fact, as soon as the, the hearings were over, I got a fundraising email in my inbox from New Jersey uh, saying, you know, I believe her which was obviously written even before the, the hearings were over, because as soon as it was over, like a minute later, I get this uh, fundraising email. I'm not even sure how I'm on this email fundraising list for New Jersey Democrats, because I've never given them a dime. Uh, but I got the, the fundraiser, and that's what this whole thing was about, was about an opportunity to grandstand and to play politics and to try to latch on to the popularity of the Me Too movement, Right. And just use that. It's like their tea party now to, you know, about how oh, all the women are coming out or all the women who have been abused. Yes, there are women who have been abused and who haven't come forward. But that doesn't mean that every woman who comes forward is telling the truth or that what she believes to be truthful is. And when you had guys like Harvey Weinstein, when somebody outed Harvey Weinstein, you had what dozens and dozens of people coming forward. Yes, he did that to me. Yes, he did that to me. Yes, he did that to me. Going over decades. You don't have that with Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, the only couple of allegations is the one who uh, he exposed himself, which even if he did that, I mean, that's kids drunk at a party passing around rubber penises when they're a freshman. I mean, that's nothing. And then the other one, yes, that was an actual allegation of gang rapes going on at um, 10 different parties. But I mean, that was sheer nonsense. In fact, I didn't even mention it on my last podcast, but probably one of the most ridiculous things about that allegation is not only that the woman went to multiple parties because she said she went to 10, but the one that she was supposedly raped at wasn't the 10th one. It was somewhere in the middle. So she goes to these parties and she observes gang rape going on. Right. Party after party, the same guys going to the same party, just raping girls. Right. And not only does she keep going to the party and then she gets raped herself, but then she goes back to the parties after having been raped and she goes back to the parties with the same guys. So, I mean, her allegation was so off the charts, but there haven't been the type of credible uh, allegations that came out 
you know, with, with a Harvey Weinstein. But they are trying to politicize this, I think, uh, constantly calling for this FBI investigation when Kavanaugh pointed out himself, the FBI is not going to come to any conclusions. They're simply going to gather the evidence so that they could review it. Meanwhile, they had all the opportunity to review evidence. They had the opportunity uh, to question uh, Kavanaugh, to question uh, Dr. Ford. But no, they just took their opportunity to politically grandstand. So it didn't seem to me that they were looking to find the truth or any holes in her testimony it didn't matter what she said, right? Because they had already believed her and there was nothing she could say. In fact, even if she confessed that she made the whole thing up, I, I think they would still say, well, you know, she doesn't really mean that. We still believe that the assault happened. But again, I don't expect her to do that because I believe that she is sincere in her belief, but what she believes is not correct because I think the evidence does not support her allegation. In fact, the overwhelming evidence supports Brett Kavanaugh in the fact that he has denied the allegations. And he has as much right to be believed in his denial as she does in her accusation. But what everybody else has to do is is judge based on all the facts, all the evidence, all the testimony, and then try to find out, given all that we know, what is more likely to be true. And I think that what is more likely is that Judge Kavanaugh uh, did not do what he was accused of doing. And I think that's why, you know, all of a sudden, once uh, the hearing was over and he did such a good job in his own defense that you had some of the wavering Republicans who now have the courage and the cover to be able to vote for um, Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the Supreme Court with confidence that they have given uh, Dr. Ford a, a forum, and they have allowed all the evidence to come out, and the evidence has not be, been able to corroborate what she believes happened 36 years ago. Mm-hmm.